0: Welcome back to the final hour of Tip Today, eighteen hundred nine three eight double O seven. The text and WhatsApp is O eight three three double one double three double one. I was in Kill in County Waterford uh, yesterday and I met uh Nellie Kelly and she's a gorgeous woman and I'm extremely fond of her and uh, one of the reasons I enjoy going to Kill is because I always get to meet Nellie and have a bit of a, a chat and a gossip and all of that and uh, Nellie wanted me to say hello in particular to uh, Mary Doran this morning who's a great friend of hers and I believe she's a big fan of the show as well so Mary Hello to you and hello to Nellie. And uh, I'm sure she's listening uh, today as well. All right, then, this week marks the final episode in this year's Walks and Talks series. Let's see where John G and Ellie are taking us today.
1: Okay, John, for our last and final walks and talks of the season, we find ourselves in Cashel.
2: We do indeed. And isn't this an unusual approach to the Rock of Cashel? I don't know, do you ever come up this way before?
1: I've done it a few times. One of my favourite walks. I love it. It's relatively new, is it?
2: It is. It's relatively new in the tarmac here. The walk has always been here, but this is relatively new. But I think when you look up at it there, you see the buildings in a completely different perspective. So we're walking up towards the Rock of Cashel, and it looks like almost a jumble of buildings up there. And if you're looking around, you'll actually, you know... And the reason is, all the, in a way, the problems of the site are its story. because what happened was it's a small site. So when they built Carmex Chapel, but then they wanted to build a cathedral, but they kind of had to cram them all in together because the site was so restricted. And then they built a tower house there as well, which is down here. Now, that doesn't really stand out as much. Some of it has actually collapsed, but it's like the square... Norman castles that you see all over the country, but it doesn't stand out like that. So um, so th- that added to it. Then there was the Hall of the Vicar's Coral, which was added on later on. And then, of course, you have the Round Tower, which is one of the finest and latest examples of a Round Tower in Ireland. But the great thing, they're all up there. When you bring them all together, then they, they come together and they create this magical aura, like, I mean, people sometimes call the Acropolis of Ireland. Mm.
1: What is it, do you think, that made it such an iconic Um, maybe picture of not just Tipperary but of Ireland I mean if you look at international publications on, on trying to attract tourists to Ireland, you will nearly always find the Rock of Cashel on those brochures I mean, it, it's
2: it, it's a lo- the location really, I mean it's such a stunning location now, in, by our today's standards of course we always have to think of that, it breaks all the rules of planning, imagine if there was nothing up there today and the Catholic Church came along and said to it, said propose the Diocese of Cashel and Emily will put a new cathedral up there the whole the sky would fall in, you know, so it is th- the fact that it's there, but I think the other reason is the buildings are in themselves of huge interest, but I think that the shining example there, and we can see a little bit of the tower here, is Comics Chapel. The more you explore that you realise just what a wonderful piece of architecture it is and it draws on uh, Romanesque architecture, which was prevalent in the continent at the time and the Hiberno architecture which was here, which would have been uh, I suppose uh, in the uh, monastic sites here and it's also then, they went great trouble to get it right because they wanted sandstone which is you can build much finer buildings with that and so they brought it all the way. Imagine back in in 11, we'll say 30 trying to cut all this the sandstone in here to build that. But what I'd love to see then is we're looking around the other way then and we see Hoare Abbey and I always think, you know, it's kind of the lost relation down there. That's a
1: big bugberry yours. It is? its yeah, yeah, I think
2: it is. In other words we'll say if you some, someone casually so rich in archeology uh, you know, we'll say archaeology and in architecture, that it gets lost here. I would just think, if this was out, if you we'll say that was an abbey that was uh, around Mam Cross, I'd say it would be doing, in Connemara, it should be doing four or five hundred thousand visits. I mean, a much much later abbey, Colmore Abbey, which is 19th century, you could get 40 buses queued up yeah. there, you know? So I'd always think that would be, if you could link the two together, have the one ecclesiastical site, and I think when we talk to our next guest now, I think the opportunity is here because there's already part of a walkway in here. I think we might be able to extend it down to Hoare Abbey. So, let me the ride. Right.
1: Okay, let's go. And, uh, John, here we are deep in the heart of the rock. What always brings to mind for me when I'm in here is the Queen's visit.
2: Oh, yeah. And it also
1: brings to mind. This is the scene of many an historical occasion, isn't it? It is indeed.
2: The Queen's visit. indeed. Did you get an invite?
1: No, I was not telling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: so did I. But anyway, so yeah, when all the great and the good were up here, and it's fantastic. Of course, something like that, you know, it's kind of soft advertising. It does massively for building, you know, what's what is in, your, in this area what we have to offer so you know you never want to underestimate those and of course it is one of the prime attractions in ireland and we're actually we just i've just come in here to the cathedral and it's a great cathedral it was built it's a 13th century cathedral and uh, built here on a site now in a way you were finding out this morning Uh, a very unsuitable site because of course it's freezing cold and we're here in September and it's cold you imagine you know being up here in uh, trying to say mass up here in maybe with these huge high roofs and everything else maybe in January and that proved its undoing but we could go around and talk about it all but a thing that people never dwell on much to me is the the sack of cashel the massacre that took place. I mean, where we are standing here, right, we wouldn't be at that time, we would not be able to see any piece of the ground for the amount of blood that would have been running around here. And this was during the Confederate wars. Now, complicated, (laughs) we won't get into it too much. But it was basically, in those days, there was wars in Ireland, but the wars were never about developing a republic. That came later with Wolf Tone. So what you're talking about is who exactly would would be would rule Ireland? Right, and would it be an English king, or, or would it be an English uh, the, the English Parliament? And the feeling was that the kings then were the Stuarts, and they weren't really Catholics. Of course, you couldn't at that. Well, it did happen later on, but you couldn't be a Catholic and be on the throne of England at the time. But there was a feeling that the Stuarts were very, very sympathetic, and that really they would like to really to be Catholics. And of course, subsequent. Uh, James did become a Catholic. But the Confederate wars took place about that, and they were the bloodiest wars across Ireland. And massacres took place on all sides. So whether you're on the Catholic or the Protestant side, we have nothing to be proud of. There was you know, incredible massacres up in Ulster against the Protestants and incredible massacres down here against the Catholic community. And one of the worst took place here then when Bernard O'Brien, Lord Inche Queen, came along here and he attacked Cashel, which was he was in with the parliament and he and the royalists were here in other words they supported the king and they were uh, Catholic they were supported the Stuarts he had a greater army and he attacked Cashel and in those days they they fled up to the rock of Cashel because it's better defended but not only is it better uh, is, is it a better defended place it also has sanctuary the idea that you wouldn't kill people in consecrated ground so right through the medieval period people have fled into churches and that would have been respected when you quinned the burner O'Brien he didn't worry about that at all so he attacked here now there were soldiers in here as well and there was a battle there's no but he attacked and for a while the place held out but the weakness in this place was to get light you have huge windows so they couldn't break in the doors in chiquin couldn't break in the doors. they came through the windows and imagine these people storming in on top of you and then cutting into everybody here with swords and just bodies lying everywhere uh, It, i can't imagine the terror when you would see you realize what happened when you're seeing Chicquin soldiers coming in through those windows
1: Do we know how many were killed then?
2: One thousand is the best estimation. Wow. When you consider, you know, that the whole population of Ireland probably then was less than two million. Play it's probably the full population of Cashel. The soldiers were all massacred, even after they surrendered. But the townspeople, every everything else, the people who had fled up here, any of them that they could get at, they killed a whole lot of them. And I think it took maybe a hundred years after that for Cashel to really recover as a town. But it's something that has been kind of uh, shoved away from our memories. And we don't think about it. And then eventually what happened here, of course, the Protestants became dominant. So this was the Protestant Cathedral of, uh, of Cashel. And the bishop lived up here as well in that very uncomfortable tower house. see freezing. So when he had a few bob then, he went down. That'll be part of our story later on. He left the rock and he built a lovely palace for himself below, right on the main street down in Cashel. So he built that palace for himself and then it was the bishop's walk which will be talking later on he'd have to walk up here to say mass but a yes, bigger pardon he wouldn't be walking up here to say mass. he walking up here for service so he'd right. walked up here and then eventually what happened uh, was that uh, they decided to build a cathedral down at a more suitable site down in cashel and that's saint john's cathedral but uh, and this then unfortunately the roof didn't fall off of this it was just taken off of this for materials and uh, it has been left in this state now so we're going to be walking down now but i have a wonderful guest i think for you to meet a person i know so uh we're looking forward to that
1: great let's go Here we are then, John, on the bishop 's walk, another kind of new addition to this loop and trail around Cashel
2: I think it 's a wonderful new addition. all the development here has been fantastic, and I think the weakness has always been for Cashel that there hasn 't been there 's been a separation between the town and the rock, and the typical tourist tends to come in, spend about uh, maybe fifty minutes on the rock of Cashel, spend nothing, and move on and this I think then is an attempt to redress that. Um, so it's it it's a direct connection so people can walk in 5 minutes from the main street in Cashel all the way up to the rock of Cashel that's great uh, now it's you know, it's it's part of the planning of this whole area, and we'll be talking. We're quite near the Cashel Palace here, as well as that. I think almost this could be developed as a Georgian quarter of Cashel, as a kind of a tourist area to pull people in, where you you know, and the main street as well as that, because there's so much Georgian architecture around here. So what you say? So we can move on down here now, and what I'm just saying is, what what you will notice is if you look at one thing is it's new. So we've got to maximise everything and the interesting thing is I walk down this a couple of times and I get people coming up to me and saying does this go to the Rock of Cashel and yeah it does it links the t- the main street in five minutes up to the Rock of Cashel But the signs say Bishop's Walk. I would think it should be Bishop's Walk to the Rock of Cashel, right. if you want to make a, a meaningful contribution. And so I think, you know, this is fantastic but let's get the message out there. Let's shout it from the rooftops and let everyone who knows, who any visitor who's in Cashel who's coming down to the centre of Cashel they immediately realise they look, they see, there's a sign that tells them you can go up on a beautiful walk here to the Rock of Cashel in five minutes. Right. But I have a great guest to talk to you later on I'm looking forward to that. We might even get a couple Coffee. Okay, you never know.
1: Let's go. Hey, okay, John. Tell us where we are now. Here at the gate.
2: Yeah, we're at the gate, and you're the last. Uh, Minutes you've been Oon and Anne and looking in there and we're, you're locked out, Alison. You can't get in there. But because I'm here, we're meeting a, a person who will actually let us through the gate. Oh, okay, good so to we'll know the right people. Be, uh, the right people, absolutely. He's going to let us through the gate and this is a person I wouldn't have known him up to about a year ago. But what I would always say about myself is that, you know, um, five-star hotels, I always find them a bit intimidating, right? And I remember one time I went down to explore Dunbeg, Trump's place down there and we had a conversation with the doorman anyway and that said, uh, well, fine, we are actually looking for customers but not really your type of customer, you know. Oh, ouch. Uh, ouch. <laughs> so that's kind of intimidating and sometimes I have found that, that kind of going to Asher Castle, they look you up and down and that kind of thing. But um, there's been a few hotels in Ireland that I always felt if you're around the place at all, you drop in there. And one, we used to go down a lot walking to Kenmayer and we'd, you know, we'd often say, go to the park for a cup of coffee. I wouldn't think of doing that in other five-star hotel. A couple of times, you know, we did the Sheen Falls, beautiful again, lovely setting, would we'll go off out there, if, if we'd been walking, have a coffee there, five star again. And uh, the Cliff House down in Ardmore yeah. as well as that, all something, they had something special, was, well, what have they got? And then suddenly I realised they all had something in common. They person uh, I'm going to introduce to you now has worked in all of those places and put his stamp on those particular places and he has now moved on to another property here in Cashel and I think he has put his stamp on that. So I'll introduce you to a man then who I think he's actually, I just wonder how he possibly fetched up in Ireland because he's actually, his parents are actually from Holland. As far as I know he's uh, born in Kenya so he's actually uh, Kenyan but he's actually, it's Adrian Bartels, he's the the general Manager of the five star beautiful Cashel Palace Hotel. And the first thing I'll put to you, Adrian, is my God, you're, you know, with that
3: kind of a background, how did you end up in Tongo's Wood College? With the Jesuits. Good question, John. Um, I was wondering that myself. Uh, to be honest with you, I'll, uh, it was very simple. My uh, mother died when I was young, and my father remarried to uh, a lady that he met out in Kenya, a teacher. Her name was Mary O'Hare, and she's the daughter of the famous broadcaster, Michal O'Hare. So uh, when they got married, uh, they came uh, looking for uh, education for me and they said, you're best off getting a European education. So where we lived in Africa was uh, on a lake and the neighbours on the, on the lake that lived near us, all their family had gone to Klongos, and they recommended highly that I apply there. So... I, I got into the school for some, re- some way or another, and that's how I came to Ireland first. was it was
2: kind of a full colonial experience there. I mean, that was still, OK, it was an independent country when you were there, and Jomo Kenyatta was the president. But still, I'd imagine there must have been a lot of uh, leftovers from the colonial period and that kind of thing. Was, was that atmosphere there, or was, had things changed at that stage?
3: I'd say things had changed. Look, there's a lot of ex- um, you know British... British people living there still who were you know of the colonial era era there was you know this sort of club society where you were members of a club and that sort of thing and you all met there and went for swims and played tennis and that sort of thing so there was a bit of that like the old I mean look to be honest we were that was in 63 that they got independence and um, you know I was it was about 10, 15 years later. So there's, there was a there was a couple of changes, all right. You know, it wasn't a, 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 as bad as it was previously, you know. Things were progressing better.
2: And you would say, was it, you know, Africa's reputation have not been all that safe. I mean, when you were growing up, was it a
3: relatively ordered and safe society? Yes, to a certain extent. Look, we didn't know any better. We grew up as kids and you run around the place and I had friends who were Africans and we went to school. There was Africans at school and there was no, uh, you know, great times there I had absolutely charmed charmed existence to be honest with you um, but then in saying that you know um when the when my parents got married uh, they did buy a property in Ireland in case they were ever given 24 hours to leave and there were people who were you know pretty much uh, told you've got 24 hours to leave your farm and you were kicked out of the country so that you know that but those are people who who probably didn't do this the right thing mm-hmm. either but there uh, there was in uh, kenya was a very peaceful can- country to be honest with you so we were very lucky and we didn't have to leave hey, under you those. want to take us on and show us this wonderful property yeah. maybe you'll even give us a cup of coffee
2: oh, <laughs> <laughs> be my absolute pleasure
1: so adrian tell us then what brought you into hospitality
3: uh, that's also a good question. I wanted to do a business that I could travel the world. I love traveling, and I thought if I learned uh, about the hotel industry, I knew that there was hotels in every country, city in the world. You could go learn it in Ireland, and you could travel in the world. And that was my that was my plan to to go back into seeing the, the rest of the world and um I'd, i did a bit of that but i ended up uh, staying most of my career in ireland which is not a bad thing either so very happy with that
1: and then it brought you here then to the cashel palace and i have to say i think people in tipperary were maybe a little bit suspicious when they saw the plans for this hotel thinking this might not be a place for local people so how hard was it for you to try and get rid of that perception that people had
3: we weren't really aware of the perception, to be honest with you, uh, Alison. We. From day one, um, Mr. and Mrs. Magna always said that this should be a part of the community. And that was the first thing they wanted, that the hotel be very much part of Cashel. Um, and that, you know, uh, we buy locally, we hire locally where we can. And, you know, that was very simple uh, instruction to, to, to from the very beginning. So it, it became part of our, our mantra, as it were, to make sure that... Um, you know, we used and to be honest, with you. Funny enough, as it happened, when we were in lockdown and in allowed to travel a little bit, myself and Stephen Hayes, the executive chef here, we had a bit of time on our hands, and we went to visit a lot of the um, suppliers in the area, looking to see what they had to produce. And you know, we we had such high quality yeah. that we didn't have to go anywhere else looking for um, produce because it was such a great, great, uh, great quality for us. So those sort of things made it easier for us. And you know when we opened the hotel the day before we opened we were very conscious that Cashel had undergone two, three years of construction and trucks Mm -hmm. coming in and out and not discommoded with parking and all that sort of stuff so we said we would invite the guests the locals to come and see the the hotel before we opened it to the public proper and um, I remember it was a Tuesday that we were opening so on the Monday we just kind of slowly had word going around town saying look if you want to come and see the hotel we're doing tours at three o'clock or whatever and we had then the management team primed to take groups of 10 and show them around, and that was an amazing day. We sort of set up for about 50 or 60 people. I think we did 600 people. <laughs> then they kind of came in and did tours, and the emotion from the locals of people who had worked or had some connection with the hotel. Yeah. You know, they there was a man, I remember he was in his 90s. He'd actually been to school in the schoolhouse, and we went to show him their refurbishment bedrooms that we made it into, and he was in tears practically seeing what he'd wow. done. You know, so I just felt that you know it was a great thing to do to have people come and see the hotel before anyone else did because it's part of their community and they very much you know they had confirmations here weddings that sort of thing communions and so on and and people have worked here as well over the years you know and uh, we still continuously get people visiting the hotel who have lots of connections from the history of the hotel so very important to link that
1: it's a very special place um adrian what do you put that down to i mean even the atmosphere the vibe you get coming in here you don't get in a lot of hotels
3: I think it's probably the old uh, building you know there's a lot of history there we're very proud to work in the hotel it's um, an amazing refurbishment and and you know what the family the Magna family have done to do uh, and 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 put into this this hotel is is phenomenal you it's beyond like it's it's a it's it's a legacy that will live for a long long time and it's kept the the sort of castle Palace re- revitalized you know and um To have that and to be able to share it with people is a very rewarding and rich experience. So I think we all, you know, really enjoy working here. And that's the main thing that we... So therefore, it kind of comes naturally out of everyone who's working here that, you know, the people who come in are, you know, astonished by... What's been done, and you feed you feed off that if you like, you know, and you say, listen, isn't it great, you know? And everyone's kind of feeling great looking at it, Um, and I'm sure that'll die down over the number of years, and you know, as as everyone comes to see it. But it was very exciting last year. We it was like a museum actually. People come in, just we were doing tours all day long. But I think
2: that was the great thing. I mean, we came in, you know, today now this morning. We just rolled in, and we're in our walking gear. We just walked in, and then we sat down, and like nobody paid us any bit of attention. But then we went back into to reception, and then you know, when we we spoke to them then, they were ever so helpful. So I'm wondering, you know, that's kind of almost, you know, three-star informality and still uh, mixing it with five-star service. I'm sure you haven't 100% the answer, but you may have some
3: insights. (laughs) Yeah, look, at the end of the day, you never know who walks in the door and you don't know what connection they have with, um, you know, um, the hotel or or other people. And, you know, there's always somebody... You know can bring some connection some business to us and you know if you're open to uh you know for example we we allow children to stay a lot of hotels in particularly in the uk don't like children under 12 and i'm thinking this is the future if these kids love coming to this hotel they're going to pester the power their parents to go we want to go back to castle palace and that's the, that's how you build a, a, yeah. a you know people coming to you all the time and return and so forth and the whole idea you know when somebody comes to the hotel to stay and has a great experience they just decide on the way out, look, we're coming next year or we come again next time and they just book again, you know, or and the, that cuts down on our sales and marketing costs because mm-hmm. we don't have to go looking for those people. They're already in the house and, you know, if you think about it, when you go to a shop, you've got about five or 10 minutes to look in the shop and you look at the stuff and then you're out again our shop is open 24 7 people come and stay here for a whole day we've all day long to make an influence on them and it better be a positive one because otherwise they won't come back and that's really you know that's it's all about being busy and having people enjoy them their stay so they come back to us
1: what's the future plan then adrian is it just to keep it ticking over as it is or do you have plans to develop that even more
3: um there are plans in the future we we, we we're kind of in, in tell us
1: all the secrets <laughs>
3: <laughs> well um yeah look there will be plans to do something in the future we we kind of we're waiting for for some decisions to be made and uh once that's that's agreed we can let everyone know but yeah we'd like to see um the hotel expand and and uh Uh, you know offer more to the to the to the local area and the local community you know yeah there's a large ballroom we could do with a few more meetings and some of the meetings can't come here because we don't have enough bedrooms so Mm -hmm. yes there would be a need for that sort of thing so yeah we'd hope that would be the future plan yeah
1: Okay, John, and that brings down the curtain on another great series and season of Walks and Talks. Can I ask you for some of your highlights this season? Well, I mean, yeah, looking back at that, well, I
2: suppose, uh, in a way, John Leahy, he was completely different from what I expected. And, of course, he had gone through, uh, you know, a very difficult time, and he was very open about that. But I think this guy, he's capable of very, very deep reflection. And, obviously, the crisis in his life forced him into reflection, and he has reflected for himself but those reflections I think now are fantastic Mm -hmm. because they're a pathway to recovery I think for you know hundreds and thousands of young people and I have sympathy at this stage with the young people who are trying to maintain jobs and college and everything else and still have the monastic life of being on a hurling team. Mm-hmm. I think it's enormous pressure but I think people who have reflected through it and been through it like John Lai, I think he's doing a wonderful thing behind behind the scenes and then, I mean, fantastic the way he cares about his mother as well as yeah. that. That was very touchy. I
1: think what's been a common thread through all of our Walks and Talks series and even here, I think what's always there there is hope and positivity and calm and peace. And where better would you feel that, that here at the Castle Palace? And I got the great sense from speaking to Adrian today that the future of hospitality in Tipperary, there's so many bright things to come with it. And we really don't have a lot. Well, we might have a little bit to fear, <laughs> yeah. but we should be very hopeful for what's coming in the future.
2: Yes, well, I was actually last night in my other role as chairman of TIP Tourism, I was actually at a meeting, a very well-attended meeting in Torres And there were a lot of problems, but people were looking forward. Looking for, and a lot of people were seeing, you know, that how... It's amazing. I always, for a long, long time, I, and the Cashel people thought, I thought Cashel gets no benefit virtually from what the huge attraction that's right here on its doorstep. And now for the first time, you have this, you know, wonderful uh, hotel here. But more than that, what it has allowed is it has allowed contact between the rock and the town, right? So the two can come together and that's what was all always uh, missing here. So, you know, I think the Cashel Palace far as I can see and talking to people and the great thing about it, when you go to other places and you talk to people and you say up in Ashford, were well, you ever in Ashford Castle or Dramoland? They'll say no. Everybody I meet has been in here. So I think they have taken to their hearts and I just think there's a lot more development can be done and this is a great model and I'd almost love to say this is a Georgian building here and I almost think there's an opportunity here. Lob is looking to the future again. We have to, for I think a Georgian quarter in Cashel, linking the Rock of Cashel and the Palace. What I think is fantastic and Look, looking forward to being coming back again next year. I'm sure we'll have more uh, great guests.
0: That's a great John G. O'Dwyer. Then congratulations to himself and Ellie for a wonderful, wonderful series of uh, Walks and Talks programmes this year. And, of course, you can listen back to all of the episodes on our website, tipfm.com, and you just click on the podcast option